It's the Mallard Report. Jim Mallard here, host of the Mallard Report. Before we begin, i got to remind you the views and opinions expressed on the show are solely of those of the host and guests. You do not necessarily reflect Evergreen Podcast, Killer Podcast, any sponsors, affiliates, or anybody else. The Mallard Report is recorded live in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Home. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. like that music. I'm glad it's back. I like the Mallory Report music. I'm excited. Right. Anyways, my guest tonight is Jesse Bradley. We were just, I was just talking about the um, incident where I almost got myself in trouble. And for those of you listening, we'll be like, well, which one? We'll just have to figure that out later. Uh, Jesse, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, Jim. Uh, cross coast. I'm over here in Seattle. You're in Pennsylvania. It's good to connect. Looking forward to the conversation. So let's jump right into the deep end, shall we? Well, let's start with the beginning because I'm inter- okay. For my international listeners, I must apologize up front because I'm going to call it soccer, and I know right now, instantly. I'm sure my email just pinged that it's it's football. Anyways, I apologize up front. I'm American. It's just how it goes. <laughs> so you were a soccer goalie. How? how take me back because that, that has to be. I mean, that's where it all started for you. Yeah, that's right. And it is, across the world, number one sport, but we won't get into the football-soccer rivalry too too uh, intense right away. Uh, I played a little football, American football, and I got crunched. Uh, but I, I still, long-time Vikings fan and appreciate both sports. I've got a kid who's really looking at football right now as his choice. But for me, it was soccer. You know, I grew up um, in Minnesota, and my parents got divorced when I was seven. And I love sports from day one. I mean, I grew up on the University of Minnesota campus, and I told my parents when I was in preschool, like, I'm going to play pro sports. Three years old, knew what I wanted to do. And when my parents got divorced at seven, there was a lot of pain. And I think, for me, sports was that outlet, that joy, that fun. And I never thought it would be soccer. Basketball was what I had hoped to play. But sometimes in life, you kind of hope for one thing, and maybe your talents are in a different direction. And it was the soccer coach that saw me playing basketball and saw a potential goalkeeper in me, started training me, and I was able to play, you know, in the U.S., but then also go overseas. And I still play, love it, and it's people from all over the world connecting, uniting together. It's a great sport. But to be a goalkeeper, it's a little unique. Some people say you got to be a little crazy, but, you know, you're diving to people's feet. It's different than the other ten positions, and it's a – position sometimes where there's pressure because in soccer there's not a lot of goals and you just can't make a mistake as a goalkeeper because it costs you the game whereas like a midfielder can make 10 mistakes so there's a battle between the ears and then there's just a lot of you know from diving to kicking communicating seeing the whole field there's a lot to it but I really enjoyed it so wait because I was going to ask about how you made that transition but you kind of bridged it there so now I'm interested he saw you playing basketball. So what, I mean, there's obviously the athleticism, but there had to have been some, because, I mean, when you're watching a basketball game, besides when I'm playing, there's 10 athletes out there, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so what, 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 what drew him to you as opposed to the other nine guys out there? I would say probably the hand-eye coordination and a little bit of quickness. I, I wouldn't say I'm lightning quick, but I could get past guys and drive to the hoop and then also – you know, just kind of fearless in that way, taking the ball to the hoop. In America, I mean, right now we've got field players overseas at top levels, English Premier, but it's taken a while. And it was the goalkeepers that were the first ones to really do well in professional leagues around the world. And in America, there's so many sports that are hand-eye that I think those skills are sometimes, you know, pretty deeply entrenched. They're acquired, honed. And so when it comes to goalkeeping – it was for me just starting to learn more of the foot skills and learning how to dive and land and learning how to, you know, pick balls out of the air. But the hands are the key as a goalkeeper, and I think that's what he saw. So what's one more question about this nitty-gritty stuff here. I hear Minnesota, I think hockey, not soccer. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's right. I would go to the games. North Stars, Gophers. I mean, I loved hockey. I would skate and you know, fall, get up, fall, get up, fall, get up. And uh, and also they have outdoor rinks. So it is, I mean, if you want to find hockey players, go to Minnesota. 
but I had to choose between basketball and hockey. And, you know, the games for the University of Minnesota that I would go to, it was at this place called The Barn, Williams Arena on campus, old building, and it would be packed. People were going crazy, and literally, like, things were shaking in the stadium. And I think there was such a palpable passion at those basketball games that I just decided this is my sport right here. But I did have to choose, and it was a tough choice. You, you could just admit that you like being warm. I mean. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, you tell me. They just had a game in Minnesota outdoors. It's the coldest game in the NHL. It was like last week, negative five degrees. And that's not wind chill. That's just straight-up temperature. And so Minnesota, you got to be rugged. In the winter, it's, it's cold. I had three city buses to make it to school and just standing out there waiting for the next bus. I, I still can get chills thinking about that. It, it's frigid. Yeah, I was going to say, thanks for warming this show up in a hurry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you go ahead. No, I was going to say, you've got a winter out there in western Pennsylvania, too, though. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I definitely do. And thankfully, now, for those of you who are listening, there's a snow belt that runs probably 20 miles north of me, which means they get five times the amount of snow I get here. Nice. Which seems ridiculous. under that one. Yeah, which seems ridiculous until you've lived up there, and then you go, somebody calls you from here and goes, how, how are you doing up there? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got 24 inches of snow. And they're like, oh, I just went out and swept, too. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, it, go away. It's, it's balmy where <laughs> yeah. you are. Yeah. It, it, it's balmy in comparison. Yeah, it's like night and day. Okay, so. That's how I felt when I moved to Iowa from Minnesota. I thought, oh, it's so warm down here. You know, Minnesota, we literally plugged in our car. Now, we always had old cars, station wagons, but we would plug the car in at night. And then when we started driving in the morning, there was a bungee cord because if a door opened, it was frozen and it might not shut. So you might have to drive with one hand and then hold the bungee cord so the door, the passenger door, you know, is, is staying closed as you drive until it warms up. But, yeah, cold adventures there. You can feel it in your lungs when you breathe. So, okay. So I don't want, I don't want to miss something here, but I, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't want to spoil your fun, but... How did soccer almost kill you? Yeah, unexpected. You know, my dream came true, played professionally, was in Africa. Then in Zimbabwe, there's a lot of malaria. The doctors here in the States prescribed a medication called Larium. It's quinine-based and mefloquin, which prevents malaria. At the same time, I took it every week as prescribed. In over many months, it built up toxic levels of my system. So think of like a massive drug overdose. Think of all the side effects, all the physical symptoms I had from sweats and chills, couldn't regulate my temperature, migraine headaches, double vision. My physical heart would beat 160 beats a minute sitting still, couldn't regulate my heartbeat, atrial flutter, murmur, skip beats. And uh, I was fighting for my life for a year, took 10 years to recover. And then there were also some of the emotional side effects, panic attacks I'd never had before, waves of depression, and all of this, of course, ended my career and that long, slow recovery, just waiting for that drug and side effects to wear off over the course of many, many years. Yeah, I was going to say, let's not gloss over that. You said it took 10 years to recover from that. That yeah. is, I mean. Brutal. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know how to, I mean, I've been doing this show for a little over 10 years. So I'm, as I wrap my head around it, I go, that's a long time. Both ends of that, yeah. that stick. I mean, I, you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And I'm someone who usually, like, when I hit something hard in life, I learn, I try harder, I, I want to do better and get through it, persevere. I, I'm not someone who tends to just sit in it or cry a lot. or And this just put my life on hold. It, no way did I ever think I'd spend, you know, my 20s in this kind of experience, even into my thirties. And it was, it tested me to the core and, and probably people listening have had something in life where it was going one direction and it's out of your control and it hits you. I mean, this drug that was supposed to protect me ended up almost killing me. And that's irony right there. But I would say also that I think there's a hope greater than our most difficult challenges and the best things in life sometimes come out of the worst experiences. 
And there was a deep transformation in my life uh, through that fire and that testing. And a lot of things shifted that I don't know if they would have shifted if I didn't go through it. But I wouldn't want to go through a minute of it again. Uh, I'm just saying that um, some things in my life moved and there were things I wasn't even aware of uh, for some of it. But, um, you know, just my identity alone, I'll just hit that one, without realizing it, my identity was in performance, doing well at school, uh, doing well in soccer, you know, achievement. And that's where my identity was until I realized, okay, now that's gone, who am I? And I was really struggling with that question. Who am I? Without friends around, without health, without a career, without soccer, without, you know, doing well academically, like, who am I? And I made a shift because I realized then my identity can't be in anything I can lose because then it, it'll just be gone. And I need to have something more secure. So, you know, for me, that ended up being, you know, relationship with God, God's love. Um, I just being loved, I think, is the most important thing in life. And, you know, for people, from, from God, for me, with faith. And uh, that was a huge shift. I, I think your identity is like an anchor and where are you going to put it? And uh, mine moved, and it was a place of deeper security. And I didn't realize that before, you know, all of this loss and mourning and grieving and pain and disappointment. But it really, my life slowed down. I'm someone who likes to move fast, <laughs> and it just slowed down. And sometimes you need that silence or that slower pace to go a little deeper. So I'm going to get back there, but I, I've got a question and a follow-up for you first before we get back through this because I'm fascinated because you said it. How long did you fight through it thinking that you're going to be okay? Because, I mean, we've all been there, right? Until we know something's wrong. And then when was there had to have been a moment when you realized that soccer was over? I mean, like, it was all, you're sick, soccer's, I mean, maybe it wasn't a definitive moment, but it sounds like there was a period of time there where you realized you were sick and then your career was over. Take me through how long of that gap was through there yeah you know mourning isn't something that i enjoy it's something that overall in my life i try to just move past or shrink it and it also is a little more tricky when you start to mourn something and you don't have that finality or closure like there was still hope like okay i could recover i could get better because the doctors didn't know like would i live would i get any functioning back would i be fully recovered would it take a few years like what would that be like and uh, i continued you know as i was able i would walk i would start the progress okay i can walk now five minutes more than i could five months very gradual progression but i would say probably about five years into it, I realized, you know, I'm not going to be able to return. And, and it wasn't just one day, it was gradual, but the message became clearer. And with that, it really was a crushing because if you have a dream in life and you chase that dream for a long time, and maybe you get a taste of it or experience it for a while, and now you can't live that out. I mean, with soccer, with sports, your livelihood's going to be short. I mean, you're there in Pennsylvania. Big Ben just played his last Steelers home game. I mean, the, the clock's ticking when, when you're an athlete. But for a lot of people, you want to go out on your own terms or you want to have everything lined up. I had nothing lined up. I had no second career. I had no interest, desire. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And so it was kind of like um, a combination of loss and also scary. And how do I emotionally walk through that? It's like, well, if you have an elephant, where do you want to start eating? (laughs) One bite at a time, but like, where are you going to start? And nowhere starting, you know, didn't sound fun in any way. And yet I had to do it. And, And here's another one of the good things that came out of it. Again, my coping mechanism was to just kind of white knuckle, a little bit of denial, and just perseverance. And this forced me to shift out of denial and actually talk about what's going on, verbalize what's going on, and then even more importantly, let people in. And there was a guy, Jeff, that um, there just aren't a lot of guys in life that I could just let my guard down and just feel that pain or grieve or even cry. And 
Jeff was a guy that uh, just cared, listened, and was there in the hard moments. And so letting people in, um, you know, I, I maybe thought, oh, it's going to burden them, or they don't want to be here, or they, they don't care. Or like, And then for me, letting God in was another one. I thought God was only interested in stuff I do well and success. And I just didn't think people or God wanted to come into the areas of my life that were a mess, that were un certain as far as the future that were painful and there's a lot of healing when you let the right people in and there has to be trust of course and safety and love and somebody's looking out for your best interest but that makes life more rich that's the deeper connection and also what i found is that because i've been through a lot of pain i'm able to connect with certain people that are going through the exact same thing or people that are going through something different but I just have a different compassion for them. And that, again, came out of that suffering and that sorrow. So just to, I'm trying to keep the timeline stretching forward here because I think it's fascinating. So you're five years removed from playing, and you hit that rock bottom when you realize you're not playing anymore. How long until things turn the other way and you start realizing there is this, well, second life, so to speak? Yeah, slow discovery and... You know, it was interesting. I started to apply for different jobs, and I just didn't know my own limits. Like, what can I handle physically? What can I handle emotionally? There was one job that I worked, and three times I had to stop because I had strep throat or sickness and symptoms that just broke out. And it was like, physically, I can't do that yet. And so it was an exploring. As an athlete, you feel like you got a lot of control with your body. You know your body. You know your limits. You know your mind. Like, you know what you can and can't do, and here I am almost with like a new <laughs> limitation, a lower ceiling, and I don't even know myself well enough to know what I can and can't handle. But after that time when I, I was volunteering, and if you don't know what to do next or you, you feel like maybe you need to switch careers or jobs, I would say start somewhere. Volunteer, shadow someone, ask questions, read about it, and just start doing it. Even if it's on the side a little bit. I started to volunteer, and I just started serving in church with kids because I like kids. And, you know, at that point, my faith started to become more important to me. And I thought, well, here's a place I could just volunteer. And so I did that. And I loved people. I loved um, what was happening there. I loved the environment. And I seen lives change. And I was like, this is cool. This might have some potential. And it came out of that volunteering. So it's hard to steer a parked car, but take those first couple steps. You don't know where it's going to go, but take that first step where you have joy, where you have an interest, where you might have some gifts, where you have an opportunity, there's an open door, and start to move forward. And what I ended up doing was going back to school because, you know, I didn't grow up with any religion. I didn't grow up believing in God, and it was all new to me. And I thought, if I physically can't handle that much, and if I'm going to end up in this faith space, and I don't really know anything. I don't really know much. Okay, this might work to go back to school. And, and that's what happened. I went back to school four years, and it took the pressure off physically. I didn't make up my career. I didn't have a demanding job. Uh, at, at school, at grad school, they one of the guys called me Limp Biscuit, you know, and <laughs> kind of affectionate, kind of um, reality. But it was like, okay, I was sick a lot. All right. I'm not as active as other people, but I'm making it through school. I'm learning. I'm building relationships with guys from you know all different nations. And for four years, I get time for my body to recover. And and that was just the right fit for me. Okay, so you you make it through graduate school. We're all, we're almost here, right? We're almost, we're we're getting closer. Yeah. But, the, but yeah. that but then then that leaves you still at the same point. I mean, you've got a new right. set of skills, but now you're facing the same hurdles that you just kind of put off for four years, trying to figure out what you're going to do next. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and when I graduate, I'm thinking, well, oh, I'd love to go overseas. I'd love to be traveling around, but my body can't handle it. So I end up going to the University of Iowa, and that's the Hawkeyes, Big Ten. Shout out to the Hawkeyes. And I was there with college students. And I'll tell you, going and applying for that job, and it was one weekend, I didn't know if I would have enough stamina to make it through the weekend. And it wasn't until about a year into that job 
that something switched in my body and I had so much more of my strength back. I mean, there were still symptoms. I still had a heart beat that was abnormal. You know, I still had less energy. I still had some vision problems. I mean, there were still reminders of the damage that I had experienced and walked through. But now I had an energy that I hadn't had in 10 years. And now I could just do more. I kind of say it this way. If you've only got a little bit of energy, it's like you've got three chips in your pocket and you got to decide how you're going to spend them because you know you only got three chips during the day. But now it's like I had 12 chips in my pocket. And it's like, yes, I can, you know, go lift weights. And you know what? Tonight I could hang out with people because I got enough energy to do that too. It was so refreshing. If you haven't had something in 10 years and all of a sudden you get a little taste of it, it's just thank you. Thank you, God. And, and I realized through all this that life is a gift. Life is short. But if you're in your right mind or you have some health or you can help someone, uh, you can use your talents, that is a gift. And uh, it just changed my perspective, an incredibly deep and profound uh, appreciation for each day, really, as a gift. So Bill made the final bridge. Maybe this is the final bridge. I don't know. From from working at the school to well, you're now you're in Seattle. So yeah, <laughs> I feel like we got a big right. leap left here. Right, right. You know, um, we we had one stop in California. So I got married in Iowa, then California, which is really you know where we had our, our kids. Uh, we adopted one, have three biological and then made it up to Seattle, and we love it here. This has felt like home uh, from, from day one, and it's an exciting place. It's a unique place. You know, I'm a pastor here. Is the second highest of any city in America in terms of people who are, they say, de-churched, meaning they once were in church, they're out, in uh, ninth highest and unchurched. So as a pastor, you know, in my neighborhood, let's say maybe 5% of people are involved in a faith community, and I get it. I I like it here. Like, it's energizing for me because I know what that's like growing up in that or with that view of God or, you know, believing he doesn't exist. And I I just love serving here. There's about, you know, a hundred different churches and ministries that are united together just to make a difference, help people. I, I like so many components of what I do, like the people I work with, uh, meet needs in the community, whether that's, you know, physical needs and helping out. We've got a drive-through prayer now where people, during the pandemic, people are looking for prayer in over 75 nations. It's the highest level historically in terms of online searches with the word prayer. And uh, people just drive into our parking lot and they just want to be prayed for. There's no theological test. There's no nothing weird, not weird religion. It's just caring for people. Uh, Teaching, you know, we have international students um, coming from all different nations, and I just love meeting them. They're coming uh, to the church. There's a college close by that has the fifth highest international student number um, in the nation. And so there's just a lot of different parts about – we did Seattle Sounders Faith and Family Night, um, good friends with the UW soccer coach here. There's just a lot going on in Seattle. It's been a great place. So I'm going to ask you this because I was going to ask you this here in a little bit, but we're right there, so let's do it right now. Uh, can Right on. Uh, I know you have a website. Can people watch your Sunday services and, you know, just give me all the good, juicy promotional stuff about you. I know what, oh, I know okay. you don't like sure. to do it, but you can do it right now. So go ahead. All right. Okay. Um, so we made uh, a new website during the pandemic, and the theme is really hope. And we just did jessebradley.org because uh, for a lot of people, it's just more personal, you know, one-on-one versus going to like a church website. But Grace Community Church here in Seattle. That's graceinauburn.com. We're literally in Auburn, you know, part of the greater sound or Seattle area. And yeah, there's live services on there. And if anyone wants to, you know, in my social media, I'm Jesse J. Bradley on all the different platforms. And I love to connect with people. So if you want to talk Sounders, you want to talk Seahawks, you want to talk about should Russell Wilson stay here? You want to talk about faith? Like, let's go. I, I, I love all of it. And for those of you who don't know, he really is active on social media because I think it was probably 11 o'clock last night that we connected for the first time, and here we are right now because the stars lined up for this, so it's great. It's so. crazy. I mean, you really, <laughs> there's people from all over the world, and you can just have a conversation, get to know them. 
I mean, of course, you're a long ways away geographically, but there's still a bond you can have that. I mean, growing up for us, Jim, I mean, we just didn't have this. And no. with family over, you know, during this pandemic, we started to Zoom once a week. And it was like our family got so close doing that, you know. And, and of course, we'd love to be together in person even more. But um, it, it was it was special, making the best out of the worst. And, um, yeah, we, it was cool how, you know, we were starting to talk and then your guests couldn't make it tonight. And it was like, hey, let's do it. Uh, I can just tell you're <laughs> great with conversations and it's fun to talk to you. You make people feel comfortable and you cover a wide range of topics, too. So that's always good. So, okay, so let's let's give you the other segue here. I know you have a book out. Let's talk about it for a second. Then I want to get back into some of this people leaving church versus all that other stuff. But let's get some of this other fun stuff out of the way first. Okay, sure. There's a book called Rooted in Grace, which just talks about, you know, our life. There's so many things we can be rooted in. Sometimes fear, selfishness, greed, uh, bitterness. Like, there's a lot of things. I believe the root is connected to the fruit. And if the root is healthy, the soil's healthy, you know, you're going to see good fruit. And uh, we all want to grow. We, we all want to love the people around us. And a lot of times we don't take the time to go deep. You're not going to guide people deeper than where you go. And so the root and the fruit being connected, that's made a difference in my life. And, and I'm writing a book right now on hope because I really feel like that's the topic of the day. 48% of the people in America, according to the Census Bureau, said they feel hopeless during this pandemic. And I believe that hope is more of a foundation than a feeling. It's more of a yes than a maybe. Uh, it's available to everyone, and it's not just abstract. Like, there's a practical roadmap for hope in our lives, and I, I love to talk about that. So I've got free content on the jessebradley.org with some videos um, on hope and, and also even marriage, if, if you want that. It's all free. I'm not making any money. Um, hopefully it's not low quality because it's free, but my heart is just to make it available for people, and then that book on hope should be coming out just in a little while. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to invite people. No, I, I think you're right. I think I think hope is something I, I, I we struggle today, right? Because everything is so so polarized and so ah, that's uh, that's not even a word. So, if I were to transcribe that, I don't know how that'd come out. But uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like it's just everybody's got yep. this. Uh, negative energy and it's hard and mm, so yeah it, it's easy to you know hop on social media and just rant uh or just tear people down because they're not there in the room you know and we give ourselves license sometimes to feel extra cool on social media or um you know there's just some despair that we're all wrestling with i've had two people in my family take their own lives um who I love and miss dearly, and they're just in a lot of pain, I think, and they felt like there's no way out. Uh, there's also a lot of division. You, you talked about how so many topics are charged and polarizing topics, and whether it's, you know, politics or vaccines, and sometimes we just forget that we're the United States of America <laughs> or what we do have in common or that we could disagree on a topic and still like treat each other with kindness. Like disagreeing with someone doesn't mean like you have to hate them or they're a terrible person. And so, um, yeah, I think to watch some of that division creep in, it just motivates me to say, how can we come together? Yeah. I mean, I miss the old days when I used to be able to say that Russell Wilson was not that good of a quarterback. And, <laughs> and you didn't lose all your Seattle audience and followers yeah. and your Twitter account didn't like get cut in half the next day. Yeah. Like there was, I mean, it was just, okay, that's great. You, you know, and then you could move on and then you'd chime in and say, you don't live in Seattle. You don't understand. And we'd be like, Oh, yeah. whatever, <laughs> you know, and that was it. And we just kind of go about our yeah. lives. That's it. You know, in my family, we have such a wide range. I say spiritually, we're a Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavors. Like, we got a little bit of everything. Of course, I mentioned, you know, I didn't believe in God growing up, so we have a lot of atheists, a lot of agnostics. Uh, we've got Jewish. We've got a rabbi. We've got some Catholics, some ex-Catholic. We just have a wide range. And one thing I've appreciated is we just love each other. And we can talk about stuff that doesn't get out of control or overheated. Like, we don't hold grudges. But, you know, we don't always talk about, you know, the most controversial topics. But when we do go there, like, we can learn from each other or we can have a discussion. We still stay close. And that's not always easy, but 
it's so good. And I'm just grateful for my, my family and just the closeness we have. And, and I, I hope that for our country too, that, um, nothing's more important than love. I'll say it again. And, and regardless of what the person who lives next to you does or says, of course, if it's illegal, you know, that's a different category, but, um, just whatever they believe or their style or their preferences or politics, like just know that everyone's significant. Everyone's made in God's image. Like everyone's important. And, uh, we've got to make a change. It's not going to come from the laws of the land, although we need laws in the land, but it's going to come from the heart. And that's what I think. Um, that's where my hope is, is that hearts change. And then when hearts change, other, other things are going to start to change. So here, here's the question. Most important question of the night. We're halfway through this conversation about, you mentioned all these different varieties of religion in your family. How does Thanksgiving prayer go? <laughs> great question. That's a great question. You know, we just had six family members coming in, and we were together for the holidays. And it, it was interesting because um, my dad, uh, he comes from a Jewish background, but, um, you know, he, he's more of the cultural Jew. And before we ate, he said, so are we going to pray? <laughs> and and then I kind of looked over at the kids and said, well, do one of you kids want to pray? And uh, one of the kids prayed. So, you know, prayer is something that I, I think is um, when someone prays, you hear their heart. And when someone prays, sometimes you hear that they care. And so uh, <laughs> it's not, you know, I sometimes wonder when we're all together, like, are we going to pray? Should I bring it up? Should I not? But this last holiday, since you asked, that's how it flowed and it worked out pretty well. <laughs> I had to ask because, you know, that's just, it's just, just in me there that I'm curiosity. Well, thank God Great curiosity question. doesn't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> the show wouldn't be happening still. No, um, yeah. So, so you mentioned the high number of people that have left the church in the Seattle area. How, I'm interested to find out what you think is the reason for that. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as you look across America, there's such a wide range of churches and health. And, of course, no church is going to be perfect. I mean, the minute a person walks into a church, the church is no longer perfect. And the church isn't the building, it's the people. So wherever there's a gathering of people, whether it's a church or a business, you know, wherever it is in a neighborhood, there's going to be flaws, there's going to be pain. A lot of times we unintentionally hurt each other. Like no one wakes up in the morning thinking, I'm really going to like do something mean or say something that's really going to um, put this other person back a few steps. But we just do it sometimes without even trying. So I think there's pain. I, sometimes I think it's well-intentioned. Uh, I also think in America there's a range with churches, and sometimes there's hypocrisy or legalism. Uh, it's kind of a – those are maybe some church words in terms of legalism um, – what I mean by that is like there's a spirit of hate or spirit of judgment or I'm better than you. Um, it's based on laws and earning and do you measure up? Do you check enough boxes? And, and like Jesus went after the religious leaders and called them out on hypocrisy. I mean, he said, you clean up the outside, but the inside is full of greed. It's dead bones on the inside. And I think when people step into a church, a lot of times they're interested in God. They're interested in spirituality. And sometimes the people in church can be distracting or even cause pain. And uh, when that happens, sometimes it's hard for people to recover. You know, I've got people in my family that grew up in a religious, both church and school, and some of the scars, it's taken decades to recover. They can be pretty deep. And one thing in the recovery is that it can be, it can take time to separate that experience from who God is because it all gets intertwined and they think, well, if someone at church abused me, then their view of God gets tainted. And it can take a while to say, no, wait, that person made a bad choice. That person, you know, violated me, but God's still good or God's still trustworthy. And the healing process is gradual. I've seen it for a lot of people and it takes a long time. And uh, also I, I would say that it's just becoming, Europe is an interesting study. And in Canada is kind of similar where at one time 
things were thriving in terms of spiritually. You know, there was um, just a lot of loving God, loving each other, some great morals, you know, kindness flowed, serving people, caring for widows and orphans. I mean, all this flowed. And then it, over time, it's like a tipping point <laughs> going the other direction, but it suddenly becomes you're kind of different if you're into that. You know, you're kind of different. So there's a lot of people, I would say, who maybe don't enjoy church, but yet they're still interested in Jesus, or maybe they even follow Jesus. But organized religion, there can be a lot of things that go the wrong direction there. Maybe one more metaphor. It's kind of like, um, this isn't perfect, but if someone's musical, maybe this will make sense. Uh, There's the original composer, and then... Or let's say there's the rock band. The original rock band, like, nails the song, but then you have all these garage bands, basement bands, and they're doing cover songs, and, like, they're trying their best, and some of them are three chords in a dream, you know, but they're really giving it all they've got, but it just doesn't sound the same. And and sometimes what starts out pure, um, let's say with Jesus, by the time you get to a church, it doesn't quite sound like that original song. So, okay. I have to jump off way off topic for just a second. This is for my listeners, and you can answer too if you want. But I've got a more poignant follow-up question for you. Um, who did the best version of "Sounds of Silence"? Ooh, ooh, okay. there you go. Yeah, I mean, Throw it out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because um, Disturbed did a good one, and there's a whole bunch of them out there now. But this goes to right to the point of what you're saying, because the yeah. ri- the original original one. The one that has less sound to it. It's more eerie than any of the rest of them, but that's a whole other discussion. Okay. Nice. But, nice. So Break now it I, down. <laughs> so I, I want to <laughs> jump back into your point, though. I just had to throw that out there because I like, you know, messing with people to make sure they're paying attention still. Um, I like your style, Jim. Keep <laughs> going. So, but, okay, so I think it, I live in a, a smaller town, and I was told there was 55 churches within a 17 mile radius or something like that. It's some yeah. way out of proportion number in my mind. Yep. Okay. So not, not your church in particular, but this is the you in this question, right? Okay. My church does me wrong. So I, it, 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 it rubs, it makes me interested because my church does me wrong and I just leave altogether and not go down the street and try a different church to see if it's in a different. That's right. where, that's where the disconnect from all this stuff happens, follows for me. And I don't, I've always talked to a number of people about it, and I can't wrap my head around. Because if you're in this relationship yeah. with something that's bigger than the church, why not sure. pursue it? But it doesn't seem to yep. work that way. That's great. <laughs> great observation. It, and it's like we think sometimes we as humans are going to be logical, and yet oh, our wait. decisions are sometimes so much more emotional. Oh, wait. You just, you just explained this perfectly. You've just ruined five years of my life. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, life would be so much neater and cleaner if we didn't have to deal with emotions because we could just take things down to the lab, dissect them. Everything would be efficient. You know, it would be just principles we'd follow. And yet, like, man, there's that whole heart thing and connection and hurt and trusting again and healing. And it's like, oh, we got to go down those roads. And uh, a lot of people just don't want to be hurt again, don't want to be disappointed again. And, uh, and they have this taste in their mouth. I remember when I opened up, this was at a cafeteria. And I, and I bought the milk and then went back to my seat with my lunch and opened up the carton, started to drink, and it was chunks. And it was way past the expiration date. It had solidified, and it was the nastiest taste in my mouth. And if you said to me, like, hey, do you want any more milk? I'm like, no, I don't. Even if you said, like, well, this carton's good, I'm like, I don't want any taste of milk in my mouth right now. And I'm done with milk for a week or whatever, you know. And I, I, if I thought that hard about the story, I could probably just that taste would start to come back. But it was one of the nastiest tastes. And when you get a really bad taste in your mouth, it, it's hard to taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes those other tastes just take over. And, and I would also say this, um, you know, a lot of churches in America are dying, and one thing that happens is that they lose connection with the community. They don't think beyond the walls of the church, and they also age. And then on the committees, 
what happens if you start to have committees where everyone's over 60 years old and they're all picking preferences, well, pretty soon you lose the younger generation because now the music, it sounds like it's someone who's over 60 loving it. The, you look around the church and it, and it screams of like two generations ago, you know, and then you go to the designs and it's like, oh, it hasn't been updated in 20 years. And, you know, you just go through all the preferences when a certain I'm grateful, you know, to be in a church here that's multicultural, multigenerational. But I'll tell you, it's a lot harder to do that because there are different preferences and voices and how loud should the music be? And with trying to stay united, I think unity requires a lot of humility. It requires a lot of sacrifice, a lot of understanding, a lot of putting someone else, you know, ahead of yourself. And sometimes if churches just get locked in to just their preference or their world or too insular, they're slowly starting to die. And they've got exactly what they want it, but it's not going to move to the next generation. And if you don't move the next generation, like, again, the clock's ticking. So I scribbled this down on my notes tonight. I should have asked this like five questions ago when we were right there, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me about the conversation you had with your father when you decided you told were telling him you're going to be a pastor because I can't imagine that. <laughs> I have I have visions you know, of, I have visions of this conversation going one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to keep things playful. So this was something that um, th- there were some tense conversations. There was some disappointment, and uh, we both shared our hearts. Uh, th- this is one of the playful conversations. I, I drew a big circle on a piece of paper. So if you think eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, draw the biggest circle you can. And I took it over to my dad and I said, dad, this circle represents all the knowledge in the world. And he looked over the circle. And then I said, here, dad, here's the pen. I want you to shade in how much you think, you know, now, dad, this is every topic. This is history, chemistry. Uh, this is, you know, the planets, like, everything dad you shade in how much you know of all the knowledge in the world and so dad takes the pen and he makes one little dot out of the whole circle he makes one little dot and i said okay dad so you're telling me that everything you know in your mind it's only one little dot and then what you don't know is this huge expanse and from that i said okay dad if this is everything you know with this huge expanse of what you don't know is it possible that god could exist and uh he said yeah okay okay i'll give that to you it's possible since i don't know all that it's possible god could exist and then i said well congratulations dad you just went from an atheist to an agnostic you know and uh atheist you know is determined he's, he's he thinks he can prove it there's no god agnostic is i don't know i'm open so i said congratulations dad you just went from atheist to agnostic and he laughed and he said go do that to your mom (laughs) (laughs) so um you know i i joke around with my mom we've got a strange sense of humor i don't know how we got here but i i say mom if the plane's going down what are you going to do you know and she's going to fly somewhere she says i'm going to put my trust in jesus i said okay and i said what else and then she says, well, I'll stand up and let everyone else on the plane know that they need to put their trust in Jesus, too. I was like, okay, Mom, we're all set. You can go on the trip. You know, <laughs> So it, it, it's kind of a weird work, hu- sense of humor. But, you know, they're just playful ways that we can kind of laugh about some of that tension. And um, I think what we're saying in the humor is that our relationship is more important than our differences. And, um, and differences are painful. And I think every parent has hopes for their kids. I mean, I've had to be careful with my kids to not pressure them into a sport or soccer or just the things I like. And so I find myself, you know, like when I'm playing with stuffed animals or I'm talking Pokemon or I'm, you know, asking questions about Minecraft or, you you know, we're talking warrior cat names. Like those are probably the moments that I'm doing the best as a dad because um, I think it's getting into their world, having fun and discovering and learning and talking about what they're really interested in and then just encouraging them. I mean, my daughter 
passed me up in drawing. Like she was a better artist at like age five than I can still draw right now. You know, and it's just like, that's awesome. I celebrate that. So um, my, my piano teacher literally told me I, I was so rough when it came to piano. I had so little talent that my piano teacher told me, look, you're wasting your time, my time, and your parents' money. And I just, I couldn't disagree. I was like, yeah, you're right. I need to move on from piano. And then I've got a son who just listens to a song, like listen to his Van Halen jump, and then he'll go to the piano and start playing it. And it's like, it's just cool. I mean, I don't want my, I don't want to try to live through my kids vicariously. I don't want my kids to be forced to just copy me and um and trying to get into their world and and i would just say that you know with mom and dad we're very close they i think have grown um just real respectful of of what i'm doing and even just supportive in, in different ways too so uh yeah it, it's a process uh, i'm i'm trying to both be real and also um yeah there's some real positive things there too have your kids oh. Um, you know, we were talking, I have kids, we have kids about the same age, so, for the record. Yeah. That's um, right, man. Let's exchange insights, best practices, <laughs> what works for you. Because, well, man, what, what's the greater adventure than parenting? So, here here comes the one. Here Here's the one that I want to ask you. Being a pastor, have, because, you know, I, I host this show, so I asked the, the tough, uh, as people have told me that have been on the show before, it's not the hard questions that I think are hard. It's the simple questions that are the hardest because mm. they're so, right? And I'm sure you've had a couple yep. conversations with your kids being pastor of a church. They see you up there talking all the time. Have yeah. you had any of those yep. discussions yet? Yeah, big time. Uh, and you ask great questions. You ask unique questions, like in podcasts or conversations, like you're you're really insightful. So I just want to commend you. Um you know, there's been different moments. One thing is that um, I've tried to protect them from being in too much of the spotlight. Like, so we actually live a little ways from church, and they just have a community that's not, like, within the shadows of the church. Uh, another thing I would say is that um, they have to discover and own their own faith. Like, it can't be dad's faith or mom's faith. And trying to give them the freedom and the support, you know, to do that. And... Um, when it comes to, you know, being a pastor, what I would say is that I don't want to be one person at home and someone else at church. Like, I hope that um, my kids, like, it'd be success for me at the end of my days if my kids said, you know, like, dad was the same, like, when he was at home and at church, like, he was authentic. And um, and and I, I love this, what Carrie Newhoff said, it's like, when the people who spend the most time with you are the most grateful for you. See, I've got to be careful that I just don't bring leftovers home. That's so easy to do. And a job that's demanding, that's full, that, you know, I'm serving, is just to come home and just bring the leftovers. You know, I get no much today, family. Um, trying to balance that. Uh, and, and here's one. This is, a, this is an interesting conversation, um, as you've asked. We moved from California to Washington, and it was tough on the kids. And there were some tears saying goodbye to friends, moving away from grandma and grandpa, and one of the kids asked me, um, Dad, how do you know that God wants us to move to <laughs> Seattle? And it's like, oh, uh, there's, where do I start there? How do I know? Uh, and, and just trying to explain that to my kid, not in a way that's just buttoned up and polished, but trying to just talk about the process or faith or listening to God and Sometimes you know clearer than others, but this is kind of why. And uh, as it turned out, after we moved up here, sadly, a fire swept through Santa Rosa, California, and really burned down our neighborhood, including our house. And uh, out of that, you know, just tragedy. But our kids, you know, at that point um, kind of said, like, uh, yeah, I think that was a good decision. We moved, you know, like we, we um, it, it just turned out where um, – they've made great friends here and it's been a great home for them. And I think, you know, moving's not easy on kids, but there's some growing that happens when they can go to a new community and then figure out how to build life in that new place. And yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for, 
them making the transition because that that's not easy as a kid and and they ask good questions the, the kids call out stuff too man they hold me accountable it's it's they don't miss a beat man kids don't you know sometimes parents say now the kids don't know <laughs> and i'm always thinking the kids know the kids know just trust me the kids know they they really pick up on so much yeah as i say the kids know more than we, we want them to know and they know more like we were talking about setting up a new phone and it's like pfft, no there's no there's no conversation in this hand you know just hand it to one of your kids and it's done right like what am I, why am i even thinking about this i know <laughs> I, I feel old when i see how my kids just like technology it's like how did they get it figured out like they're just they're sharp i mean um I would need to like watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos and then go through some training and then ask some questions. And it's like, it's like innate. They've got some gene I don't have. Like they've got the technology gene, but uh, yeah, feel, feel a little older when, when I think about that comparison. So here, here's one. Maybe, uh, maybe you have some guidance for me on this. I still don't understand this. Them watching other kids play games or adults even like they'll watch. You mentioned Minecraft earlier. Like they'll watch the YouTube yeah. video of somebody else playing. Like that's right. totally foreign to me. I never, I, I, I can't do it. I, if, no, I, if I'm, I if I'm watching, I'm playing. Yes. It's already like a step for me to go from like doing some active to playing a video game. Like that's already kind of a shift. And then just to watch someone else play, they love it. They, they just, um, they eat that up. And then it's also a social thing. Cause I've got one of our kids to put on his headset and, and two of our kids do this now all the time, but they're playing with their friends. They're talking with their friends. And it's almost like a play by play. Like, all right, let's go. Are you over there? Okay. I need you to come over here. Hey, let's go take this gem. I think there's something under here. And it's like this conversation where they're bonding, they're talking. And it, even like one of our quiet kids will just be talking up a storm while, while they're gaming. So it, it, it's got a few layers to it. Yeah, I was gonna say I totally get them connecting and playing together. That's cool of me. I I enjoy that, right? Because that's, but the watching of somebody else playing is just. <laughs> and on YouTube, they'll find somebody watching playing, and they'll just watch them, and they're glued to it. And I'm just thinking, how long is this video? But they're eating up, and, and I guess they're picking up skills probably. And yeah, well, I, I guess maybe there's some soccer element to this to bring this conversation big full circle here. Maybe they're learning yep, yep. like you would watching an opponent. That's it. That's it. And, and you know, that's where I think going full circle back to soccer in America, it's like the better the professional league gets, the more that the kids can watch these top leagues overseas. They get the pictures in their mind. Then they want to play. They start watching it, imitating it in the garage. Then they bring it out to their games. And it is. It's a way to pass along uh, some of those skills and to give – we all need dreams. We all need a vision. We all need a picture. And we all need to be inspired. And whatever we're doing, I mean, sports, video games, you know, faith, it's like we we need those. Uh, and so, yeah, maybe that is tie into some of that Minecraft and watching the gamers. Okay, so loaded question here. Give me that the promo for your church and you again. And any last words? I'm going to get you out of here a few minutes early because I know you have something else to do here in a few minutes. All right. Sweet. Yeah, love to connect, jessebradley.org, and then social media, Jesse J. Bradley. Reach out, follow you back, and then our website for our church, graceandauburn.com, Grace Community Church, and just let us know. I mean, you're going to have fresh eyes if you watch the first time. Let us know what it's like streaming, the sound, the message. Like, I'm open to any feedback. So um, I just love honest conversations and um, just share what, what you're thinking. You're not going to step on our toes. So... Jim, I, I appreciate this time, man. Um, I just think it's cool. We can go from just, hey, found each other on social media to like, man, great conversation. And then like, I just feel like I know you better. I mean, even from before talking this conversation, it's like, let's let's collaborate in America. We've talked about this today, but let, let's unite. Let's understand each other. Let's collaborate. Let's forgive. And uh, let's move forward together. Like, we truly need each other. I believe we need God. We need each other. Um, we're not meant to be isolated. We're not, we're not meant to walk around with a bunch of grudges. Like, let's break free. And if you break the cultural trends right now by doing that, great. Um, 
collaborate. Like we've got World Vision right here. We collaborate with them and we can bring more clean water to people, kids around the world that need clean water. Why? Because we're working together. So collaboration is the word I'm going to end on today. Well, Jesse, thank you. And we've got to get back. There's a whole bunch of other things that I'm fascinated by, by you with this church. And anyways, but we'll get there. So thanks for tonight. And we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Sounds great, Jim. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. And there you go. There's Jesse, Jesse Bradley. And I hope you do take the time to go check him out and follow him and uh, all that other stuff. So, um, hey, don't leave yet. Right, we still got about four minutes left here, so we're just going to take. I want he has a meeting at the top of the hour, so I wanted to give him a chance to go get a drink and uh, or recycle the water. He was in his office at the church, I believe. So I just want to make sure I gave him a few minutes before to get out and do that stuff. So because I appreciate it, because like I said, eleven eleven thirty last night, I got a message from my scheduled guest that said, "Hey, I'm under the weather. I can't do tomorrow's show. Sorry." And I sent Jesse. Me and Jesse were tweeting back and forth direct message and I, I said hey just send me an email and I went to bed so I woke up this morning with these two emails back to back and um, at the like 11 18 11 19 like seriously back to back in my inbox this morning when I woke up and I said well you know what I normally don't jump that way when it comes to guests normally I go through and there's a whole process and make people wait for years to be on this program but Jesse jumped right and it just hit and it was a good show tonight so I'm glad we were able to connect there so for those of you who are wondering, right, I had Mike uh, Darrell on a few weeks ago about Evergreen and all that fun stuff and starting to see a few of the the changes, right? Uh, for those people who listen to the live show, the live show's players are at the bottom now and the podcast at the top. For you podcast people, you see the new cover art and some new bios and just really minor changes, but I think we're almost to the point of, well, there's still one more change coming. Um, you'll probably hear that next week or the week after. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty much into that process now. And um, yeah, I think for most of you who have not noticed, you will not notice. For those of you who have noticed the subtle little changes, that's all this was. It's big for me on the back end. I can't even explain that, but that's not why I did it. I look forward to working with Evergreen and helping that company grow immensely. So that's my goal. Cat, yes, I have a process. It's uh, disheveled at best, but there is some layers, some thoughts, some pacing of guests that I try to do, and um, it doesn't always work out right. But I try to keep it going one way for a little bit and then back. But some weeks it just kind of seems like it's all up in the air, and that's kind of part of the plan, too, where I keep... I know, it doesn't sound like there's a plan, but there is. Some weeks I like to group together UFO guests, two or three, and then I like to chop, 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 and then go back into something really hard for a couple weeks. In some weeks it's chop, chop, chop. In some weeks it's open lines because the guest doesn't show up, and you just kind of get what you get. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm excited. Um, yeah. Looking forward to the next few weeks and all the fun stuff that goes with that. And, uh, yeah, so I feel like I'm forgetting to tell you guys something. And I don't know what it is. But uh, I agree with uh, Jesse that hope and, you know, love are kind of things we need. And I know everybody on the pond doesn't always agree with each other, and that's great. I don't want everybody to always agree, but we have to agree to do it civilly and understand that on the other end of the, that box that instant message, that tweet, that whatever, there is a person. Okay, here we go. Now, I want to do this, because this is pretty cool tonight. I have people from Scotland, Canada, and Australia listening live to the program. So that's, what, three, four continents live in the chat room tonight. And um, plus all my American listeners... Big shout out to uh, the guys that aren't on the pond tonight, too, right? Got to mention them. Big crowd tonight. Big, big night. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. 
I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.